Hey guys, I'm Megan. And I'm Dana. And welcome back to Scary Stories to Tell Your Sister. Bing bong bing. Hello, hello. <laughs> Hi, Hi, Megan. How are you? I just finished having a little menti B. A little mental breakdown. Yeah, and now we're here. Same. I was going to say anything new or exciting with you. I mean, we're fitting this in at a random recording time. And I feel like we're both stressed about a lot. Not this, but life. Life. New job. Act. Is retrograde. Mercury is in retrograde, and I have a new job aspects that I'm dealing with, and a lot of changes. And I don't do well with changes, but it is what it is. Check back with me next week at the campfire episode to see how my sanity is hanging on because I've cried three times since five thirty. It's now almost ten o'clock, and I've like not just like crying, but like continual sobs. So right, right. And thankfully, you have a partner that is supportive of you, as do I. They laugh at us, but we're in the kind. We're laughing because we were just discussing this before we got on air. And we were talking about how, well, Dana was on the phone with me while I was having this mental breakdown. And Ray could be heard in the background laughing. And Dana's like, is he laughing at you? And what? No. Which that made Abby laugh because when Abby and I got home this evening around 7.30, I had texted my boss and Abby said, oh, what did you say? And I looked at Abby and as I was telling her what I had texted my boss, I started to sob in the car while I was driving. And she was like, never mind. I didn't ask anything at all. I'm going to walk the dog. I'll meet you inside. Like go cry in the garage, like not like trying to like brush me off, but like right, she was right. like if you start now, you're just gonna completely devolve, dissolve, devolve. And sometimes you need a good cry, and I've had a lot of good cries today. And you know, yeah, yeah, the one today was really helpful. It really did wash out all of that internal sludge that was built up. up. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I feel like. <clears throat> For me, my anxiety is always prior to events a lot of times. Obviously, obviously, I know a lot of people's anxiety is the same. But, like, for me, there's a Taylor Swift bridge. The monster turned out to be just trees. And that's something that Abby always says to me. Like, what are monsters? They're just trees. Because a lot of times my anxiety builds things up to be that. And I'm hoping the next week is just a big old tree for me. It will be. It'll be great. It'll be a great week. Thank you. Thank you. It's my last week of 32. I know. Yeah, this next Empire episode will be Dana's birthday. Yes. And it's fitting because she gets to pick. I get to pick. It won't be on my birthday, but it'll be like the week of my birthday, which I'm very excited about. And also, yes. Also, the cake I made last week I talked about was, like, the best cake I've ever made in my entire life. It was so good. And 
I'm going to try to go to the garden tomorrow and plant. I haven't planted yet, which I feel like I wanted to do last weekend, but I couldn't because a lot of other things happened. Like I'll touch, I'll touch dirt and I'll get my hands dirty and that'll clean me. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me. I mean, well, it's probably all the stress, but I've switched topics five million times until I decided on this one topic for this week. I'm excited to hear what you have to say. And like the what I ended up turning on, like and tuning into, I was like, this is a little darker. Oh no. But it it it's something I've wanted to cover before. Yeah. I haven't mentioned it, I don't think, as much. We have discussed this topic between the two of us, obviously, in some time or other in our life. But I'm excited. And then Abby was really stoked about your topic this week. Oh my well. god. I am so excited about my topic. This might be the one that I've been most excited about in a really long time. And like, there's so much information, so many, well, I don't want to say anything yet, but there's so much information out there that like, it was hard for me to narrow it down. Yeah. Just like, because I wanted to like put everything in there. So this will actually be my first two-parter because there was no way that I would be able to fit everything into just one episode and feel good about it yeah i like that it makes me like i'm excited about that because i'm trying to think the last time i think i had i had the men in black two-parter yeah that was the first episode it was i said hi surprise it's me i have a lot of stuff to talk about <laughs> i don't know if i've done another uh, another two-parter since then mm-hmm. and I would, have i mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it was the the ranch Oh, yes, that was a, yeah, that one, that one was a, a big one. I just did that two-parter for that one. And I know you've talked about some other things that you've, we, we, we've talked about some topics that were big ones that we said, oh, we'll come back and deal with these another time because they weren't like, cons- like they, they could be talked about in parts. Yeah. Um, like like Bridgewater Triangle and some other things too. And like haunted ob- objects. But I'm excited to hear this one for your first two-parter. Yeah. So you want me to get started? Yeah. Are you going to tell me what it is or are you going to draw it out? All right. Well, get your whiteboards out because I have conspiracies to go over with you. Ooh. Any guesses on what conspiracy we're going to be talking about today? Like, can you give me some sort of like narrowing? Sure. It takes place. Is it Area 51? No. Oh, okay. But but I know, uh, yeah, yeah. But it is an area where a friend of ours lives out of state. Is it, is it an airport? Yeah. Oh, my God. Is it the Denver airport? Yes, it is. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. It's such a cool topic. This is um, awesome. I'm so excited about it. I feel like this is one that we can really like bump ideas off of each other. There's just like, yeah, so much juiciness in it that uh, it's it's a good one. It's a good I'm one. I'm excited. So, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed researching this one. And honestly, I can't wait to hear what you think about it. That's partially why I wanted to do a two-parter because it is so juicy and I'm going to need some time to like devour it. Yeah, and also like to talk about because there's so many things in it and there's so many like deep levels like there's some like oh i can see that and some that i'm like i i'm sorry what yeah 
Yeah. So I'm really excited to hear like what you found and what we're going to get. Okay. So I first heard about this conspiracy about six years ago on a podcast called Psychic Teachers. I absolutely love them, by the way. And being a person who loves to hear about different conspiracies, I was surprised that this particular one I hadn't heard of before. Have you heard about it before? Like, when was the first time I should say that you heard about it? I'm trying to think. I think... I think heard like in passing like some things, nothing as deep. I think during the height of the pandemic, so the past like three years, I think Abby and I watched a show on Netflix, I think, that was delving into all different conspiracy theories. Uh-huh. And one of them delved into that. And I was intrigued. To say the least, I didn't know, like you said, like I said before, I didn't know the layers to this. Yeah. I didn't know. And there are so many. Yeah. And I think the, the only thing I remember, I think, is some of that stuck with me. Can I say, like, what I, like, yeah. The only thing that's really stuck with me was one lizard people uh-huh. uh, and the artwork. Yes. Yeah. So, I'm going to start at the very beginning just so people have like, place to start. kind of like a background of how this airport. What was that, Dean? I, I was, I made a, I said, you said, I'm going to start at the very beginning. And I said, which is a very good place to start. Because I talked, I was, my brain was saying the sound of music. Yes. I like that movie. So Denver's first main airport was a little one. It was very small. And it was built in 1929, 1930, around there. Okay. This hub would stay in commission until the current Denver airport would opened up. And the new airport opened 65 years after the original in 1995. Okay. It's about... It's more recent than I thought it was. Exactly. Me too. Me too. I thought it had been... I thought it was older. Yeah. But yeah, 1995. And again, 1995 is actually a while ago, but not... As old as one would think. Yeah. So it's about 25 miles outside of Denver. Okay. And is actually the third busiest airport in the world. While researching it. In the world. In the world. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you you were saying uh, like Jed States. And I was like, "Mm, yes, Mm -hmm. nodding along. Because like, okay, we have Atlanta and stuff like that. But I was like, in the world, that's, that's, that's pretty busy yeah yeah i found it interesting too that multiple sources had claimed confusion as to why this airport was even built because because there was one already in place and it suited perfectly well enough but it just they built this new one now my question um, is were they close by one another or was it in the same area or was it somewhere completely different they built the new one I don't think that they were too far apart. Okay. Actually, I if I remember correctly in my research, I think the other one was actually a little bit closer to Denver. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But anyways, the new one was built and the budget for this build was $60 million. Please. But they ended up going over just a tad. Want to guess oh. how much they went over? 
so it was sixty million dollars yeah. was their budget. I'm gonna say they went a hundred million dollars over. How much say it again? Was it a hundred and sixty million dollars instead? Oh no, Dana. They went over two billion dollars. But the front door. Yeah. Oopsie. Oopsie. Yeah. Two billion dollars? Yes. Isn't oh yeah, I would definitely I would definitely have some questions. Yeah. And that's that's actually one of the first conspiracies that we're gonna discuss. Very small, but I wanted to throw this in there because it went over so much, you know? Yeah. Um, there were actually a lot of change-ups in contractors, which just adds to like the whole mystery around it because the switching of contractors would mean less knowledge as to what was truly being built, you know? Ah, uh, love it. Yeah. So when looking at the building from the outside, it's hard to miss the tented roof that reaches across the top stretching a whopping 375 feet. This tent-like covering mirrors the nearby majestic Rocky Mountain with its peak-like design. From the, from the murals that furnish the east and west baggage claim walls to a mysterious dedication capstone, this structure is shrouded in mystery. So without further ado, let's just get into some conspiracies. I'm sorry. First up, we have the Balker Conspiracy. There are approximately six underground levels below the ground floor. And one theory for this is because it's built on top of a bunker. Supposedly put in place for high up government officials in, the, in case of a nuclear attack. But the airport says their intentions for building this underground tunnel or these tunnels was for a fancy newfangled luggage system that unfortunately didn't work in the way that they had hoped it would mm. and was more of a disaster than anything else. Even though they couldn't use it in the exact way that they had intended to, the tunnels, today, part of it is still used to transport baggage. Except without the failed modern system, you know, that they had originally planned for using but for me, I can't imagine six levels being dedicated to just that purpose. When I watched a video from United on YouTube, one of the women in the video said that over a thousand people work below ground. So that's my question. One, I'm also like, I would hate to work below ground. I know, me too. But when you think about it, a thousand people are working below ground. And if they're using it to transport baggage, do you really need a thousand people to transport baggage? They're not like doing like a, uh, you know, a chain. Right. So when I listened to the podcast that I was telling you about earlier, I absolutely just love them. You should listen to them if you like it. <laughs> but Samantha made a really interesting observation. Near the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia is a place called the Greenbrier Resort. Yeah. Have you heard of it? Well, Abby's from nearby the Green, the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia. Okay. I hadn't heard of this place. I don't even know oh. this place either. I'll ask her if, she, if she's heard about it. Okay. Dana, it is so freaking interesting. I don't know how neither one of us have heard of this. So true to Megan fashion. 
I'm yeah. going to go to take you down a little rabbit shallow hole? rabbit hole here. Rabbit little divot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In 1778, White Sulphur Springs, as it was then known, was a place people would go to recharge and refresh their mind and body and soul. And by the 1830s, according to thegreenbriar.com, this resort became a hot spot for, quote, politicians, judges, editors, lawyers, diplomats, ministers, planters, and merchants. Planters? I don't understand that. Like, what does that mean? What's a planter? Like, that's just a side note that I'm... Is it in, like, politics? Planters? I don't know. Anyways, they were there, too. Now, a lot happens in the next few years, but we have to jump through those years kind of quickly. So hold on tight. I'm excited. In 1914, the name is changed to the Greenbrier and has become a vacation spot for people like President Woodrow Wilson and his wife, as well as Joseph and Rose Kennedy. In 1930, it's rebuilt and doubles in the amount of rooms to 500. It changed hands in ownership in the next few years from the Army who turned it into a hospital, to the Ohio Railway. The name, of course, changed throughout those years, but eventually it does become the Greenbrier again. Then, in the 50s, shit gets weird. In the, the 50s US... or 60s? 50s or 60s? 50s. Okay. Five zero. The U.S. government comes in and is like, hey, we want to do a little makeover on this property, okay? All right, great. And they begin what was called code, what was codenamed Project Greek Island. Oh, which Love from an outside, hate that. I know. From an outside perspective, it looked like it entailed just a simple extension to the resort. <laughs> but like, if the government is doing it, it's not just an extension, you know? Yeah. And it was actually an extension to the resort, but that was just above ground because underground was a different story. They built a secret bunker, which was used only by the few who knew about it. Then at the end of the Cold War in the 90s, the project was closed. And for over 30 years, Nobody knew about this doomsday shelter. In what? fact, yeah. In fact, Bob Cont or Conte, I'm not really sure how to pronounce his name, Bob Green Greenbrier's official historian had no official... idea it existed. Wait. So the official historian of Greenbrier. So it was like a spa getaway thing. And yeah. they said the government came in and said, Hi, we want to do some work on here. Mm-hmm. But they just built a secret bunker? Yes. How big was this bunker? Do you know? I will tell you eventually. Okay. I'm, gonna, was- I, I'm just like, because of the size aspect, I'm like, how does historian not know? Oh, that is a massive yeah. thing. I know. Yeah. So Bob, oh, Bob. He, he knew every inch of this resort, right? Yeah. Because he's the historian. He started his job in 78, and people asked him questions about it all the time. And he denied its existence. 
But little did he know, just steps away from his office was a giant room, walls lined by 1,100 beds, and an air intake system with the ability to filter out radiation. Shut the front door. Yeah. Fuck up, Megan. Are you kidding me? No. One, I didn't know that existed that has things like that. And also, I looked it up just like it's in West Virginia. Um, which also, like, who would have thunk that you go to... It's in West Virginia? I mean, I looked it up, but I think it's in West Virginia. It's White Sulphur Springs. Yeah. That's what it was in Our country is set in... Yeah, West Virginia. Oh, okay. But I saw a picture of, like, the building, the outside. Yeah. And I'm like, holy palatial middle of nowhere. Right. Yeah. So, whoopsie, West Virginia, guys. Oh, so this is fine. But I'm just saying, like, of all the places to be in, I guess, you know, I mean, it makes sense if I'm thinking about it this way. I'm going to go on a little, is it okay if I talk a little tangent real quick? Please do. Because you think about it, it's West Virginia. And D.C. is the capital, which is in, you know, Washington, D.C., which Mm -hmm. borders Virginia and it's like that as well. Obviously, it's West Virginia, so it does border it somehow. So if you think that you're going to be an attack on the capital, you want to go further, uh, like far enough away. If it's a radiation thing, there is layers or blast zones of like, if you're this far away, this far away. I wonder where this lays in that aspect. And I wonder like if they were like, this is close enough that we can get to in time, but far enough away that we're not going to be, you know, in this blast radius area. So true, Dana. And yeah. that just messes with my mind. <laughs> yeah. 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 So the room itself was humongous. It was actually like close to the size of a Walmart. And like I said, it had 1,100 beds in it. And the guy, Bob, the historian, he had all of Greenbrier's historical documents and worked on site. Literally just beat Dana away from the bunker itself and had no idea of the secret. Now, you said it was the size of a Walmart and you mentioned the number of beds. Yeah. My question is, was there anything else that it was equipped with besides like beds? Did it have like storage of food stuff as well? Or obviously like toilet? Yeah, I think it did. Okay. but. Yeah, so that was just a little little snippet that I wanted to add in there because if that was something that was put in place and nobody knew about it and it was kept secret for so long, who's to say that there aren't other places like that right underneath our noses? There is. There's literally a place. I don't know where it is, but I've seen like multiple TikToks about it where like these like giant like semi trucker like semi trucks go into the cavernous caves to drop off stuff and it's like a government run facility like in like caves underground almost and they drive into like yeah and there's literally i think at one point in history they were worried about dairy in america Hmm. and they literally have like a bunker of cheese so it's like if they have things like this and 
obviously you and I live in very like populated areas. So like, how could they hide anything here? But we've driven in like very rural, very like expansive, nothing place. Like these fields and stuff like that. Like you just think, oh, it's nothing but like cornfields or forest or mountains. And you're like, they could be having things underneath the ground, especially like the Blue Ridge Mountains and like the Appalachian Trail in that area. Like the Appalachian Mountains are older than anything we can think of, pretty much. Like I was looking at a, a diagram of how people think there's a website I was watching this video about it talking about how old it is and it explained that there's this website you can go on to be like hey what did this place look like I lived in a thousand years ago like the land kind of thing like that and the Appalachian Mountains are still there like even when it's like Pangea aspect of like all the continents like supposedly together it's still there in that area sorry abby heard me talking about the appalachian mountains and like her little scary ass ghost face just like came from the darkness to be like what abby said they're older than trees oh my god that's amazing yeah abby said before any abby's talking about the Appalachian. so like those things and there's it's like there's like cave systems in there so like we don't know all about that so of course there could be secret bunkers megan this is my jam and toast. I am so excited. Oh, no. Yeah, so I'm, I'm saying all of this basically to say there are rumors that there's more to those six floors underground below the airport. And what are they all for? They cannot all be for, oh, they can, but yeah, could they, could they be for another purpose besides just transporting baggage and what a convenient location too in the center of the country and an airport of all places yeah and like you said it's the third busiest one in the world which i would not have guessed right right and i i mean i knew it's like popular i think i had a did i had a layover in denver i don't know if i did at one point but it's such a large bustling thing if you're having layovers like that people are like oh i'm gonna fly to california i have a layover in denver for a couple hours it's like no one's gonna question that right yeah and it's like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna completely disregard yeah it could have been a luggage system that totally makes sense you know but right. i think for me i would like to know what their like idea of it was because that also makes sense, I mean, you know, if it is, like, the busiest airport, they're going to need a way to deal with luggage, you know, in a, in a manner that makes sense. But would it be six floors worth of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. And also, the the besides the building itself, the airport, the property around it mm-hmm. is so expansive. I wish I would have written down how large the property actually is, but it's it's a lot. It's a lot. So there could be a lot going on that, you know, you don't know about. Yeah. But because of time's sake, we're going to jump into the art now. And we're going to start with the Blue Mustang. So two years before opening, the Denver Airport commissioned artist Luis Jimenez to create a sculpture that would stand outside the entrance of the airport. That sculpture would be that of a Mustang. The muse was his very own horse named Blackjack. 
whom he once thought was an intruder in his home when he found it in his living room late one evening. Black Jack's eyes stared straight into his, giving Louise a chill down his spine. Yeah. The bright... What did? Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine seeing a horse in your home? No, Megan. I think I'd be, well, that's a demon. Bye. Absolutely. Yeah. The bright blue sculpture was, that was modeled after Blackjack stood just a tad taller than the average horse at 32 feet and weighed 9,000 pounds. No. Its body, consisting of polychromed fiberglass, and he also dons LED eyes that would be hard to miss as they glow red, Dana. Megan, that's the one thing I know, and I... M. <laughs> Imagine like driving by or flying in and seeing a giant like rearing horse that seems like the devil himself there. Such a strange piece of art to have in front of the airport, right? Yeah. No, it is. It's like, you know what? It's like, yes, Denver is like whatever. I'm taking a picture of us for. Yes, Denver is, I guess, like horse country, I guess. But of all the things, to be like, yes, we're going to have a horse. It's like, great, awesome. That's just a great idea. Is it made of metal? Okay, makes sense. You know, it's like weatherproofing aspect. You wouldn't want wood or anything to warp. Yes, it's going to be giant. Mm, how big are we talking about? Doesn't matter. It's huge. 38 feet. Oh, guess what else? It has demon eyes. Right. Now, he did say that the eyes were kind of like homage to his, how do you say it? Homage? Homage? I think it's homage. It's homage. No. Are you lying? No, I promise. I thought it was homage too. Abby, is it? Look it up. I was going to say, Abby. Guys, I think we'll probably cut this out. Yeah. But this is, it's how sisters are cute. Like, look at the thing that I am. Homage. 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 So not homage. And not homage. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. While pronouncing it, there's essentially three different ways. Oh, right. British pronunciation is something like homage. Homage. Homage, where the American pronunciation does not deliver the H sound quite as homage. 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 But of course, the word originally comes from French, and in France, it said homage. Dana, I said that too. I did say earlier. You can rewind this later. I said I used to say homage too. Homage, which is the French word, which this is a French word. American people, of course it's me. I'm like, yeah, it's homage. All right, so let me go. Let me go back. Oh, I'm keeping that in. <laughs> oh my god. Well, anyways, but no, we're both. Once again, we're somehow both right. His... And then again, in in homage to his father, he actually added the eyes, made them red because his father, a demon, was was, was it Satan. Now I don't remember what his father did because I didn't write it down. Oh, but even better, it was homage to his father. La because devil. It, because his, oh, I remember his father worked in neon. 
You couldn't have picked any other color. Why not like neon blue? True. I think anything in neon though is a little. It, a neon blue would be a little icy. <laughs> I would rather though any color, even like like neon green. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to visualize it. That's why I'm quiet. No, I'm looking at, like I have a, I like a, a stack of like highlighters next to me, and I'm like looking. I'm like, I'm like orange is a little too close to red. I think green or blue. What about? Hmm? Yeah, I'm think. Yeah, because yellow would be kind of scary too. Yellow is like not. It depends. Oh, it's neon yellow. I think neon yellow, it depends on, like, the shade and, like, the brightness of it. That could be on the on the less scary side. Yeah. You're so, welcome, anyways. Either way. His eyes were red and scary. Because his dad, demon daddy. Exactly. But what happened during the construction is actually even scarier and sad. And what now sounds like foreshadowing, head of conservation of at the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum, Cronkite recalls a time when he was chatting with Lewis. I'm sorry, Louise. Louise? When he was ch- when he was chatting with Louise about the tiring Mustang project. You know, how exhausting it was to work on yeah. this project. And in an article on CPR.org, Cronkite, in regards to Louise's, I'm sorry, in an article from CPR dot org Cronkite in regards to Luis is quoted as saying he said you know this work is going to kill me and sadly in 2006 an accident occurred when the blue mustang fell on Luis severed an artery in his leg and killed him and remember how big this horse is 9,000 pounds I don't want a 9,000 pound thing Right. On me. After his death, his sons helped finish the project. And after its grand reveal, so many residents expressed their great distaste for the art and tried to have it placed in another location less visible upon yeah. entry to the airport. The Mustang has been nicknamed Lucifer in past years. I'm yeah, thinking probably mostly due to its glowing red eyes. But some think this horse is a reference to the fourth horseman of the apocalypse. And do you remember what that represents, that one in particular? Uh, is that death? On, on yeah. I came death. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of weirdness surrounding it. Yeah. But that is the only weird piece of art in the airport. Near the baggage claim area are two bronze gargoyles that rest up high and are seated inside open suitcases. According to FlyDenver.com, these gargoyles were placed there as protection. And... I'm sorry, protection? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I like that aspect, but that's something that I would do. I don't think an airport would do that. (laughs) I mean, I was going to say, Dave, I was going to say they also said it was to, to ensure... Safe arrival of baggage. Now, we do see gargoyles on old buildings and structures, but to see it inside like a more modern building, yeah. especially an airport, that's yeah. just kind of strange. Like, I'm like, I kind of love it, but I'm also like, 
what? Yeah, and especially like in conjunction with all the other oddities that inhabit the airport. It's odd. Yeah, and especially for an airport that went, you know, a couple billion dollars over budget. Yeah. Like, how much was that was for these gargoyles? What are they made of? Bronze. Bronze. Okay. But the yeah. weirdest piece of art, in my opinion, are the two murals by artist Leo Tenguma. And I'm going to send them to you, Dana. Or, do you know what they look like, Dana? No, I don't. I want to. Do you have a picture of the gargoyles, too? Or should I look that up? Yeah. Yeah. Say so send it to me. Don't look at anything else in this. I'm not. I'm, I'm sure. going to send you. Because I'm going to send you a list. It's going to be a list, but scroll okay. through, you know. Who was that? What was what? Oh. I just sent it to you. Okay. Now is yeah. that Oh, I don't know if I sent you the gargoyles, though. No, you sent me the... You'll see the... Yeah. You'll see the... Uh, Terrifying... Mustang. So I see the Mustang. Okay, he's blue. I didn't realize he was blue. And he has, like, a very detailed body. More detailed than I thought he would have. Yeah. I know. Why did they show his butthole? <laughs> it's like butthole and like lightning veins coming from it and like his crotchnal region. Yeah, yeah but it's And I looked, behold, a, a horse and his name was yes, death and hell followed with him. And I'm like, Jesus. Okay, I'm looking at the capstone. I'm looking at, I'm looking for the, okay, is it peace and harmony with nature? You, you, can look at all, you can look at all of them. Yeah, it's peace and harmony with nature. I'm going to be talking about Sorry. You can see David's face. I just saw some the faces of these things. I was just trying to see if the gargoyles are on here or not. I just sent you the picture of the gargoyles. But they're like covering their ears. Are you telling me that they said, we're going to make new gargoyles and they're going to look so angry with you. And so, if I saw that, I'd be like, I disappointed you. I'm sorry. <laughs> They're sitting in little luggage. Like, little... Oh, like little luggage? Little what? What do you call it? Suitcase. Suitcase. That's right. I love it. I mean, I like it. But I like the idea of it. But it, it's just odd. It's odd. But so, Dana, look at the murals now. The first mural. Okay. Is, is it the first on this page? One. Is what it, is it the first one on this page peace it's called peace and harmony with nature ah yes that beautiful beautiful one yeah so they kind of remind me of pictures that we had in some of the books that we'd read at the hall absolutely but we like my book of bible stories and the revelation book right yeah no absolutely yeah so let's start with the first mural that you're talking about. At now. Sorry, the creepy person at the bottom of all of that. Oh yeah, we're gonna get into that. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just it's if you saw these pictures, you would see. Oh, we're going to you understand all of these pictures because I have never, never. If I saw this in an airport, I'd be like, "Well, I'm unsettled." Exactly. Dana, if I saw this in an airport, I would think twice about flying out of there. Yeah, because Abby and I flew out of Austin or flew into and out of Austin this past September for her brother's graduation from the Air Force Academy. 
And Austin had a cool, a lot of cool art stuff there. And they even Ooh. had this one area that was like gateway to nowhere or anything like that. And it was like a boarding dock that like went like is like all these like lights. And it was like so cool. I'm not explaining it properly, but it, it sounds engaged, scary. It, it engaged you. And it was so it was it was an art piece. But it was I could see the ominous aspect as I'm describing it. But it was nowhere near peace and harmony with nature. Right. Right. Yeah. So this this mural is actually split into two parts. On the first half is you see like a bunch of disturbed looking children clearly upset with the destruction taking place all around them. There are these glass containers with extinct animals inside. Some of the kids are even holding these glass containers. One child can be seen holding a Mayan tablet, which, surprise, surprise, depicts the end of civilization. Well, the children are standing behind a dead leopard that can be seen laying in the center. Below the dead leopard are what looks like three coffins with dead bodies laying inside. Yeah, the that's what I noticed. To the left, a Native American woman in the center and a white child on the right-hand side. The, bra- the background, you see a fire burning everything down nearby. And then in the center of like the fire, is this like little little tiny image of a city in the background that apparently has been painted over a few times throughout the years, which is a little strange. Like, what are, I don't know what's changed. You know, what have they changed? What's so important to change in that? Like, and why? And if you have the time to retouch and change this small brightness, I have an idea. Paint over the whole thing. If you want the kids involved, if you want things about saving the environment, there are so many more ways than to have casket of terrifying dead people and, you know, dead leopards and fire. And yeah, it else. is eerie and disturbing, to say the least. Like that one girl on the left-hand side who's holding the maybe dodo bird or like penguin-esque creature, I can't tell what that is. And there's like a killer whale or creature like yeah. jumping into her. I was terrified. Yeah. And Dana, I wasn't gonna get into like the civilizations. The any the little like tiny, tiny little things that are like in the caskets with the dead bodies. Ooh. But like if you look at the little girl, you can see like she's holding a Bible with a cross. Oh yeah. And then like some like there's a couple of other things like, there's just so much in those pictures that you could spend a while there just trying to like pick it apart yeah that in itself is like a whole like deep dive that one mural exactly yeah so anyways the painting is just as disturbing and a reminder this is an airport what Oops. the heck I got exi- anxiety, actually, while writing this out. <clears throat> because it doesn't give you, like, the best feelings. DenverPublicArt.org describes the theme as the destruction of the environment. And the second half of the mural depicts a more paradisaic scene with children from all different regions of the planet. 
and surrounded, they're surrounded by living animals. And these children seem to be fixated on an unusual, pretty, and colorful plant in the center of them. This hat of the mural is said to symbolize the environment finally healing from the previous destruction that took place. But now for more conspiracy, in the first half of the mural, of the first mural, the first half, okay, so it's fire, one mural, fire, but and brim, it's like, fire and brimstone. Yeah. There's like, like I said, the glass boxes with extinct animals. Well, one of those animals is a Quetzal bird. I hope I'm saying that correctly. I think it's Quetzal. Since Mayan times, this bird has been considered a symbol of freedom, preferring death than to live confined. And this location was built as this safe house of sorts for a select few, separating and freeing those from an impending mass extinction. And oh my God, as I was writing this, all I could picture was that show Station Eleven on HBO. I love that show so much. I love it. But I hadn't realized before I watched it that it was a book and I want to read that. But uh, yeah, sorry, that had nothing to do with this. That's fine, but, I love that. But you know, like they're like in a, an airport at one point. Did you see it? Yes. Okay. Anyways, conspiracy theorists say that the flower that the children are surrounding in the second half of the first mural symbolizes the birth of a new worldwide government. Oh, and those who cool. survive the previous events will be under the leadership of this new administration. Some, can I just say, it sounds very of religious trauma. <laughs> yeah. Of like, yeah. those, like, when like, I got anxiety. Like, dog whistle words. Like, oh, new world, new, new world order. Got it. Love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. yeah. So, I in debating whether or not to start the, the second mural now. I could start the second mural, but just the first half. Is that the this one? Back up just a little. Is it the green, the green, the green man? Yeah, but he's like standing up. With a gun? Yeah. You want me to start it now? Yeah. Okay. So I'll just start this first half of the second one. And then next week I'll go into the second half of it. Oh my but God, you're right, Megan. There is so much about this place. God, I know. Yeah, so the second mural is just as disturbing, guys. But we're going to start with the first half of it. And the first half is, again, just scary. It has a giant soldier on it whose face is covered with a gas mask. In one hand, he has an MK-47 rifle. And in the other, he's stabbing a dove with a sword or a, oh God, I looked up how to say this word, scimitar, scimitar, it's spelled S-C-I-M-I-T-A-R, but it's a symbol used in Masonic imagery. Oh, fun. Yeah. This soldier is surrounded by really distraught refugees and let's let's just back up. This soldier is just any soldier. Yeah, it's... Go ahead. He's like a freaking Nazi. He is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so... Sorry. Surrounded... No, it, yeah, it's true. It's really disturbing. And all these refugees looked absolutely 
distraught and upset. These children are sleeping like amongst rubble from the collapsed building that's in the background. They look like they're sleeping, but, you know, they could quite possibly be dead. But then at the bottom right hand corner of the mural is an actual letter from a child who died in Auschwitz. Are you fucking kidding me? Yep. What? Hammer Hirsch. Hammer Hirsch. Yeah. So there's a lot to dissect in that half of the mural, but I'm going to stop there. Okay. Well, that's depressing as I'll get at that last thing. I'm really excited to know what I think you mentioned something. They have like a monument or like a dedication stone. I'm really excited to get into that next week, too. And like you said, we said in the beginning, 1995 isn't that old. It is old, but it's not like, obviously, we've been alive since before then. But I feel like I look at the airports that I travel to most often. Boston, you know, Orlando, Miami, places like that, you know, even like New York. I feel that if it hadn't changed artwork and stuff like that since the beginning it would be very dated in that aspect and i feel especially in this day and age some of the things they're depicting are very troublesome and yeah to say the least tina i can understand trying to depict like hey you know give a shit about humanity and nature but don't do it in a way that is literally like anxiety inducing it it is it really it's and this is not just being like oh we're sensitive we are sensitive but just think this airport is not just for adults yeah children pass through there and they're seeing like a jed a dead child in a coffin and like and, guns and knives and like giant like flames and dead animals. I'm trying to think of like traveling with the, like my three, like, you know, my three nanny kids and then being like, what's that? And I'm like, you know what? I honestly can't tell you. I would rather explain to you the demon blue horse out front than that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you know. who knows what? really is behind like because there's no reason to right now have those pictures up there i just don't think it's a very good not a good it's not a good it's like not your best foot forward denver it's not, a, it's not a good it's not a good look exactly not the best look for you to have not the best you know. like not. <laughs> i know it's like y- you tried but uh, and the art itself like beautiful colors you know well done artists are artists each one is talented each one has I bet someone thinks those artworks are stunning in their own way. That's great. Have it on a print. Have it somewhere else. Don't have it as a mural in an airport, especially like I feel like everything is so tumultuous these days. Yeah. And I'm like a stressful flyer. I wouldn't say fearful, but I know a lot of people are like fearful flyers or stressful travelers. And I feel... Yes, I want an air, airport that's streamlined. If it had, if it needed a six-floor baggage team to get my baggage so they don't get lost in the shuffle, that's fine. It doesn't work, so maybe they're using it for something else to house those 1,000 people underground. But <laughs> I would think love... There's something, do you think that there's something more to it besides just, like, what Oh, absolutely. They... 
I and, and it might not, it might not even be nefarious in nature, but there is more there. They they have things there. If they went like two billion dollars over budget, there's so much more shit there than we know, and that's fine, I guess. But I'm it's not fine. I don't I do care greatly because I feel like especially with it reminds me especially with the contractors being switched out. Yeah. Constantly it's like I might have seen blue point blueprint A, you know, but between me and you, the men made it blue points blueprint C and so you don't see this whole entire section here. Yeah. You know cuz that doesn't exist in your blueprint. Oh yeah. Like like the historian who knew everything about the building in West Virginia. Oh, Greenbrier, yeah. And like, did had no idea that just feet away from his office was the actual Walmart Walmart size bunker. Like what did he think was there? I don't know. I I wonder if it was yeah. underground. I wonder if he thought, oh, there's no basement in this area. They built it this way because I mean it's like cavernous, like coal country. There's probably like different things. Like, oh, we couldn't we couldn't dig there because there's like limestone or other things that you can't dig there because of rocks. Yeah. But I feel like he must as a historian, he must have had like quote unquote the blueprints and like the schematics right. of like back in the day. Where exactly. Was- so what did those b- blueprints look like? Right. Yeah. Like you were saying, if the hands were changed so many times in this current airport, who's to say? For the life of me, I can't remember if I have this like thought in my head and I can't remember if it's like a book, movie or show that I watched or a legit historical fact of like someone who switched out contractors enough to be like no one knew the real secrets hidden within because no one was there. You know, no one saw it through. And it's probably it's probably something in media, but it's basically like they switched out the contractors enough that no one knew what the true final blueprint and layout was. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing as this. And it's like, what is the purpose of that? I can see maybe like switching out contractors on a big project, maybe like once, maybe twice. But I feel like if you're bidding on a project, especially like a government project at like an airport, you're gonna be vetted and you're gonna it's gonna be like a, a competition of sorts to be like, I want this thing you're not gonna especially if going over budget so much you're gonna get a big chunk of change if you do it properly you're not gonna want to mess it up and not be the one to you know see it to the end and that's just like i don't know the size of it and i think also i'm sorry i keep rambling i think also the if it was just like a mural that was a little odd okay i could see being oh there's a weird a weird ass mural in Denver airport I think it's just that's one of many weird things. Yeah. I think it's like you take that coupled with the gargoyles, which I really want to see the gargoyles. And then I heard also, and I don't know, this is something I just remembered right now. Did they add like new gargoyles recently? I mean, maybe they did, but I all I know of are the two. Okay, because I think, I don't know if it's Denver. I Obviously, it's probably Denver. But I feel like there is... Something they added recently that just feeds into the conspiracy, like that these things talk and like say like things. What? I I want to look it up and I'll send it to you. We can talk about it next week with your two okay. murder. So don't don't get too far into it. But I think there's something that like they feed into it more. And I'm like, you're doing nothing to dispel oh, these things. The airport, yeah, huh? totally is like all in on it. They, I mean, like, oh yeah. There are all these conspiracies. Like, if you look up a video, I think it was, I think I said it in earlier, 
but United yeah. has a video on YouTube that talks about all of the, cons- not all of the conspiracies, but a lot of the conspiracies. Just briefly, it's like a two-minute video. Yeah. And um, I mean, you have to be tongue-in-cheek if you're working there, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, any How much tongue and how much cheek is real, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited, Megan. This is a great topic for you to choose. And especially, I think it's a great topic for your first two-parter because we love a good conspiracy for a two-parter here. And I'm ready for mine. I'm just like shocked. And mine is like such a womp downer. So before I dive into this, there's a lot of like trigger warnings for mine. There's a lot of like death in mine. And we're going to, and as I go to certain things, there's a lot, I I talk a bit about death and like cremation and stuff like that. So I just want to let you guys know, trigger warning and listener discretion to like is advised for those who don't listen to something like certain death and things like that. And like I said earlier, I was spiraling like an out of control roller coaster. I had like five different topics, Megan, before I landed on this one. And I'm not going to say, I'm not going to discuss those other topics, like, later. Like, I talked You're about not. the... I'm not. Surprised. Never. Never talk about it again. No. I will. <laughs> Another time. Like, I think we talked about it last time, that there are topics you want to discuss, but it's not the right time yet. You yeah. know? You're like, no, I'm not ready for you yet. Or you're yeah, not ready for Yeah, we have, like, me. a list of topics that we've wanted to discuss. And... Yeah. Denver Airport has been on there since day one. Yeah. And I, I haven't felt it until... The other day, and I, and man, did I feel it. That's great. I'm so excited. I think I want to see if mine is on there real quick. Okay. Sorry. Having a share. Abby just told me what the surprise songs were for Taylor Swift's concert, and I'm okay with those ones. Each each concert, concert. I'm going to her concert at the end of May, but she, every show, she does two surprise songs. Oh, okay. So like her whole her whole entire era, and then she does two surprise songs, acoustic set, and no one knows what they're gonna be until that night, oh. and so you don't know. And there's some songs I really want for Foxborough night two that I every time like you can't you can't do that one you can't do that one, and so literally I will stay awake sometimes past my bedtime to be like, what live seed can I see? Okay, she didn't do a song I wanted. We're great. Or, oh my God, she did this song. Yeah. Which ones do you want to hear? Do you want to tell me or no? Yeah, I want to hear Right Where You Left Me. I want to hear Long Live. I want to hear Cornelia Street. I want to hear Ivy. Like, any of those are great. I want to hear... I don't know any of those. You Belong With Me? Yeah, You Belong With Me. I know that one. The other ones are fra- False God would be a great one to hear. But there's so many ones. But like You'll have to send those to me. Send me the, the list of the ones you want to hear because I want to listen to them. Yeah, she already did the one I really wanted, which is This Is Me Trying, which is like my favorite song, which is like one of her saddest songs. But no, I literally was like, I want to hear this song. Because every time I'm like, no, it wasn't that one. We're good. Or, oh, that was a good one, but I'm not heartbroken over it. Anyway. Sorry. Happy talk. Now we're getting down to the... Before I tell you my topic, I'm going to tell you a little story. And let's see if you can kind of like, you know, you'll probably get it. 
So there was this couple. Their name was Kay and Mike Fletcher. The date was February 11th, the year 1997. And they're in the kitchen this morning. It's about 9 a.m. And they're getting ready for their day. They're in the kitchen having breakfast when all of a sudden Kay notices smoke. The smoke was coming from her. So she's panicking, like, oh, Mike, help me take off my sweater. And yet the smoke continued to come as she's removing her articles of clothing. And she's like, oh, my gosh, something must have caught fire. But no. She's thinking, I must be burning. Something's happening here. And she's like thinking, I'll have blisters. I'll have burns. But as Mike looks over her, he says... The f- only her skin was red. There was no singes. There was no burns. No discoloration on her clothing. And yet the smell and the smoke were still there. And Mike said that the smoke was so thick that it forced them to turn on the fans and open the window. Ooh. Now, as you know, Megan, but as dear listeners might know, Oh, would you raise your hand and tell the class? Yes, I know the subject. What is the subject, ma'am? Spontaneous combustion. Yes, the topic is spontaneous human combustion, or SHC. And we're going to delve into that real quick. So buckle up, Brewskies. It's going to be a bumpy, burning ride. And as you know, Megan, and as you listeners do not probably know, I worked in the funeral industry for over seven years. I worked in the office setting, but I worked in the funeral industry section of cremation. Now, I bring this up because there's a lot talking about cremation and like the body's reaction to cremation and the heat and stuff like that. So I want to make sure everyone knows that I'll be kind of I'll be talking about it in a very literal sense, just to make sure the facts are stated in that manner. But also Mike Fletcher himself worked in cremation and there's actually a certain smell that's associated with a body being cremated. I know. It's, it is what it is. And Mike took note of that scent being there in his house that day. That Ooh. certain scent. And like I said, I was never there for that. I, like I worked in an office building that made the machines. So I have no aspects of this, but I won't get into details of that. Yeah. But. Yeah? No, never. You don't want to know. No, I don't want to know. But I well, want to do something, but I don't want it to be added in there. I'll take it out. When I was a kid, I remember, like, smelling certain smells and being like, this smells like a funeral. And Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't know why. Like, we've been there's to certain, so many funerals. There's certain, like, floral scents that are uniquely funeral. Because I think also, and if you don't mind, I think I would keep this in if you if you want, don't mind, because it's like okay. a legit smell. I think probably because like you have like certain flowers that are quintessentially like quote unquote funeral flowers, like lilies and stuff like that, and they have that certain scent. And there's also like that like antiseptic scent too. It depends on what kind of funeral you're going to. There's the antiseptic floral scent that I feel totally thing. I and then also I actually have. A perfume that is Louisiana Cemetery. So it has like an earthy scent, but also like a smell of like old roses. Ooh, I want to smell that. So I have a perfume like that. So totally makes sense. That makes sense to me. 
I think, and smell is one of the highest triggers of memory and recall. So that's totally fine. I agree 100%. There's some uniquely funeral sense. So like I said, Kay Fletcher was lucky that day because nothing happened to her and her body that spoke in that like hot feeling. But for hundreds of years, similar stories have popped up with others faring far less than Kay, losing their life completely. And while some tend to disagree, and others claim it can be simply an act of pseudoscience, the mystery and terror of spontaneous human combustion, or like I said, SHC, still remains a mystery, and a frightening one at that. So I'm going to share with you a couple of stories, different events of things that cannot fully be explained away without the involvement of spontaneous human combustion. Now. In March of 1986, there was a man named Kendall Mott, and he was an adult child of a retired firefighter named George Mott. What? Adult child? Adult child? In my mind, when you said adult child, I pictured, like, an adult child. I don't know. Like, I was trying to explain it like he was, like, a grown-up. He wasn't, like, a little kid. Like, his father was a retired firefighter the guy's name was george and kendall hadn't heard from his dad like in a long time like like, that whole day and like he had called him a lot and there no all the calls had been missed and none of them had been returned and george had bad lungs and he needed oxygen and other like a, a mask like you know things to help him breathe and medical aid so kendall's like i haven't heard from him all day i need to go check on him so he goes to the house and immediately he knows something's wrong because all the windows of the house are like brown. He can't see in because they're like soot brown. And when he goes to grab the door handle, it's warm to the touch. So he's like, what the heck? The house, he opens the door. The house is dark and had the, small, the strong smell of burning in it. And then he found his father or the remnants of his father, in a localized area of the bed where the body had burned, leaving behind only a few ashes and some bone fragments. Oh, my God. And as I watched the thing on this case, there was a man named Larry Arnold, who's an author of a book that delves more into the topic of spontaneous human combustion. The book's called A Blaze. Which I'm like, that's that's a little on the nose. But he said this about George Mott, and I quote, There was an incredible localized damage done to the body. George Mott was incinerated to an extent that we have been told by forensic experts could only be replicated inside a crematorium operating at about 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit or more for 12 long hours. Now, I have a bit of like a bit of a thing to pick up that because there is. Ah, oh, yes. My expertise at, at cremation coming into effect. They do run for a really long time, but their temperatures are really closely monitored and don't tend to go that high. But I think maybe he's saying, wait, what doesn't tend to go that high? The, the temperature of the crem- crematorium, they go very high. They go like 18,000 degrees. So the, the not, not 18,000, 1,800, 1,800 degrees. 1,800. So the, the temperature of the fire that happened at his father's home was higher? They said 
that to have the body be reduced to that amount of ash, it needed to be that temperature, like really, really high temperatures for this amount of time. And I wonder if they said, maybe they said like 3,000 degrees because maybe the last time he spoke to his father was 12 hours ago because cremation isn't a fast, it's, it's like a, it, it doesn't take a minute to do it. It has, you know, it takes a couple, it takes a time to do it, you know? So I wonder if they last heard from him like 12 hours ago. So it'd be like to get him from X, Y, Z to, you know, one, two, three, it need to be this temp for this long. because. You can tell the severity of it as well because when ashes are returned from a crematorium, I'm sorry, I laughed. It's just because I'm thinking about I'm talking about cremation. No, it's fine. So, because you can tell the severity of the heat with this thing because when ashes are returned from a crematorium, not only have they been burned in the machine, but they've been prepped in a way that make them finer, the ash, because they're the like, there's not all the bones burn the same rate so yeah. there's a machine that like makes it so everything is good and so it's like like what larry said it takes a continual and high heat to do that but not only that that heat aspect the mott fire had more weird inconsistencies besides just the ash yeah so his house wasn't like burned to the ground exactly it was a localized thing because he found him in the bedroom and the tv near the base of the bed had melted the screen has like warped from the heat but the bedding around the body wasn't damaged how does that happen even more so there was a box of matches nearby and the face mask, which was still pumping oxygen out of it. And an aspect, I know a lot of us, like, you see oxygen in cans, and it's, like, warning flammable. Oxygen itself isn't flammable, but, like, pure oxygen has the ability to accelerate fires. And if it's pressurized like that, it could, that, that pressure could make the fire boom more so. So, like, pure oxygen blowing wouldn't cause, like, flames if you lit it. But if it's pumping out and the pressure of it, it can accelerate a fire. And so, I'm like, okay, so if a fire's happening, why isn't it spreading? Also, this is, what, 1986? You know those bed sheets were not flame retardant. Yeah. You know. Those were some polyester yeah. hotel sheets. They yeah. probably, sorry, George. You might have you might you might have had very nice bedding. But in my brain, I was like, still, because like something that heat. It's like I like still. It's just, my brain. Ugh, sorry, because I was watching Unsolved Mysteries on this, and I got so annoyed and frustrated because there was a man who was trying to explain the fallacy of this case of like spontaneous combustion, which I understand. I'm not saying certain things can't be explained away. There are certain cases that have been put under the umbrella of spontaneous combustion. I could be like, oh, it was probably a cigarette. Oh, it was probably this. But there are certain aspects that I cannot have someone properly explain to me these things away. So this guy, one, he works for a magazine 
that was literally called the Skeptical Inquirer. So you know he's not taking this laying down, but he had this to say. His quote. Now, do I know exactly what happened? I don't. But let me reconstruct this a little bit. We were told that Mr. Mott was a former drinker and a former smoker, but that he had reformed. He was depressed. Just suppose he had said, what's the heck? I think I'll have a cigarette. That would explain why he took off the oxygen mask while the unit would still be left running, and it would explain why the matches were there. Now, if that's the case, then it's another case of smoking in bed, and that's not so mysterious, and it's rather a mundane case. Which, I mean, yes and no. I see this being the case, but it doesn't explain the high intensity nor, nor the localization of the flames and the burning. Because we see so many things about how an errant match or a horribly timed and located gender reveal party thing can set off an uncontrollable blaze of fire. You'd think that a house filled with medical equipment and other flammable things, that if there was a case to be made of human fallacy, that it would have spread farther and faster than just that one spot in the bed. And I looked it up on ready.gov, and it said this about fire and house fires. It says, fire is fast. In less than 30 seconds, a small flame can turn into a major fire. It only takes minutes for thick black smoke to fill a house or to be engulfed in flames. Fire is hot. Heat is more threatening than flames. Room temperatures in a fire can be 100 degrees at floor level and rise to 600 degrees at eye level. So it's really hot, but it's not getting to the point of burning body hot. Inhaling the super hot air will scorch your lungs and melt clothes to your skin. Fire is dark. It starts bright but quickly produces black smoke and complete darkness. Smoke and toxic gases kill more people than the flames do. Fire produces poisonous gases that makes you disoriented and drowsy. So it says here that fire, the flames of temperatures, can range from 100 degrees on the floor to, because heat raises, heat rises. So that's what they say, like, get low for the fire and crawl out because the lower you are, the less temperature it is. But it says 600 degrees at eye level. And it could be like a thousand or something at roof, maybe they said in some places. But on the opposite side, Cremation machines ranges from 1,400 to 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 765 to 982 degrees Celsius. And while house fires can reach that temperature, it's when they're large and uncontrolled, not just localized to a bed. And I'll get, like, more into There's other things that they try to explain as an effect called, like, wicking. And I'll get into that later. But even then, with that, you'd think if something's burning at that large intensity, it would get further out, you know? Mm-hmm. And this is the one <laughs> that this is the this is the one that everyone's like, you know what? If you can explain those away from like he was smoking or this is it. This one's harder to explain. This one takes place. In December of 1966, and it's the the home of a retired doctor who's 92 years old. His name is Irving Bentley, and it involves the gas company meter man. His name is Don Gosnell. So 
Don regularly came to check the meter and stuff like that. And he knew that Mr. Bentley wasn't going to be there that day. So like he always did, Don let himself into the basement. He always said there's nothing new. He goes down there and the floor he finds a pile of ashes with a, quote, sickening sweet odor to it. Ew. And he looks above him and he sees that there's a hole straight up on the ceiling of the basement, which is the floor of the house, with red embers still on the edge. Now here he's thinking, okay, there's a fire. They must have gotten Mr. Irving out, but why haven't they called the fire department to come deal with like these embers, you know? So he goes, this poor man goes upstairs to make sure that everything's okay and like to call, like to make sure that it's a fire department there. Should I call someone? And he can, he's met with only what could be best described as a horror scene. Oh God. It's just, it's not, I, I use that word lightly, I think, or have, I don't, I don't know. Because the room above him was the bathroom. And there was a hole with a walker and the simmering smoke and only part of a leg remaining. No. Yeah. And Don said, no. Don said the leg, the part of the leg was so discolored. I couldn't tell if it was a human being or a mannequin until I got down close and looked at it. Oh, my God. And when I got the picture, I left right then. And I mean, same. I'm out of there. And in the reenactment on Unsolved Mysteries, this man touched the ashes in the basement. Oh, no, he didn't. And I'm like, can you, can you imagine? I would need every single leave they provided at that point. I'm like, bereavement leave. Maternity leave. I don't know, leave. Get me out of here. Because I would need a long time to cope with the fact that they unknowingly touched fresh burnt human re- remains. Why on earth did he want to, like, even... Look, I'm a curious gal, but I'm not going to touch something. I also have OCDs. She put OCD in germs, so it's like, you're not going to touch anything anyway. Yeah. But you're like, what is this? I can see you doing... I can see myself like, oh, what's this? And I, I can never touch anything again. I'd be done for life. And I think obviously there are people who work in the, who work in the industry. Yes, you touch it because you you know you're touching that. I'm not yeah. saying anything against that aspect of the human remains oh, aspect. Yeah. I think it's unknowingly and without giving consent to touching the remains. Okay, that gets me. It's like you didn't yeah. choose that. You didn't choose such dead things today. Okay. You're a gas man. You didn't don't do that. So, Larry Arnold, the author of A Blaze had this to say and i want to give the full quote here to him because there's a quote from him and the skeptic man like back to back and i feel they're they're ping pong on it it's really interesting because i'm like yes i see what you're saying and i can also see what the skeptic man is trying to accomplish but then i'm like but can you explain this anyway i'm getting ahead of myself larry says what is so profoundly perplexing to mainstream science about the scene and Dr. Brant Bantley left behind is the incredibly intense fire that consumed his body quite literally to powder, leaving behind only certain parts of, you know, as testimony that had, that it was a human being that had been there. 
The rest of his body was ash in the basement below. We believe that Dr. Bentley answered the call of nature. He had to go potty. He had to go potty. Call of nature? The rest of it. Uh, so sweet. I know. While standing in front of the toilet, suddenly, spontaneously, he began to become a human fireball. The nature of the fire, and we kind of use fire in quotes here, failed to produce enough thermal energy to melt the aluminum walker. It failed to produce enough heat to blister paint on the bathtub that was inches away and yet was quite capable of directing the energy downward through the oak beams, through the flooring, and into the subfloor beneath, into the basement. And I'm like, exactly. I'm like, you have this high heat that's literally burning a hole in the ground, but it's not burning anything. It's not yeah. burning the, the paint. And Larry Arnold, you know, my skeptic man. No, I'm sorry. Larry Arnold is ablaze. Joe Nickel is a skeptic man. He says, <clears throat> once again, angry me because he's so close to being like, no, this is fake, but then he misses the point completely just to feel like he's being right by like proving it wrong. You know what I'm saying? He's like mm-hmm. trying to like, I need to prove it wrong, but he's not proving it wrong with the solidness. I need him to prove it wrong yeah. with a scientific backing. He says the case of someone like Dr. Bentley is very understandable. And this is of him being infirm. He was, he was 92 years old. And he had a history of setting his clothes on fire from his pipe. His clothing was pockmarked with burns from his pipe. In many of the cases, the person's own body fat can contribute to the fire. That's like the wicking effect. It's like when the fire starts, if someone's like clothing as it, the body fat of the person is like fat burns, you know. And burn at higher heat, but it's saying that so it keeps it localized in that area, which that is the wicking effect. That makes sense to say about that. Go ahead. And this is not, uh-huh. this is having to do with the case. But do you remember when dad was cremated and he's like a bigger guy and they charged extra because he was bigger? So mm-hmm. that's like a thing they charge extra when they're bigger. Yeah. But if you ask me, if the fat makes things burn quicker. Why don't you charge less? Because it's less. Well, I think. I think because they have to, they have to monitor it closer because it can go and get hotter. They have to make sure it doesn't get too hot. Oh, okay. So it takes okay, more. It takes more work to do certain things like that. This makes sure the temperatures are regulated, and also not only that, but with the with the fat content burning, the smoke released is more that they 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 monitor that too contain yeah so but it's like so looking effects can explain certain things but then he also says his body on fire he falls to the floor there is linoleum on that floor and linoleum once it gets to fire is a very powerful flammable material the flooring burned the subflooring burned and the beams there's room underneath there's a tremendous amount of wood underneath his body that it acts as a funeral pyre. Mysterious? Not really. Not scientifically mysterious. Unusual? Yes. But then, I'm sorry, if the linoleum is so flammable, why didn't it spread? Mm-hmm. Why didn't it grow to the entire bathroom where all the linoleum is spread out? You know? Yeah. And not only that, but it's like, yes, wood burns. So wouldn't it continue to burn and spread if it's going at that high of a heat? To literally, like, burn through the wood. Right. 
And not only that, but the walker. So I looked this up as well. And it's like, what temperature does aluminum melt? It says aluminum has a higher melting point compared to other metals like copper, iron, and brass. In its pure form, its melting point is recorded at approximately 660 degrees Celsius or 1,220 degrees Fahrenheit. And the human body takes about 14,000, I'm sorry, 1,400 to 1,800 degrees to turn to ash like the doctor. So if it reached that temperature and was localized there, wouldn't the walker have taken more of a melting damage? Also, when you think about it, if the guy is going to the bathroom, smoking his pipe, if he catches fire, he's not just going to sit there like a molo and be like, yeah, take off his robe. And then it's, it's happened to before, and it's like, and there's a point that I that I looked this up because I read another article that talked about this. And in that article, some of the sources say that this quote unquote pipe was by his bedside table. Oh. So the smoking gun wasn't even there. And Larry Arnold says that the debunkers he could perform a very simple experiment. He says, take a cadaver, put it in a tar base linoleum flooring put an aluminum walker over that and drop a cigarette in it if it burns to powder then yeah we'll be impressed and we'll be like okay awesome that person deserves a nobel prize in physics but always your money the experiment's gonna fail so he's saying okay if this is what you're saying is true he dropped his a lighter or a thing on his pipe and it burned replicate it do it again. And now there are a few things that talk about it, like the, the, wicking, the wicking experiment and stuff like that, not experiment, explanation. But, I mean, the theory of spontaneous human combustion isn't something that's new. It was first put forward in 1641 by a Danish doctor and mathematician. His name was Thomas Bartholin. And he had this book that was basically called Hysteranium Ana, Anatomicarium Rarium. I am saying that so wrong. But it's basically like a history of strange medical stuff. Okay. And he, in that book, described the death of an Italian knight that was called Polonus Vorstius. Mm, once again, I'm doing great. So according to this mathematician and doctor, he said the knight had enjoyed a lot of wine one night and he burps fire. Oh and as he God. burps fire, he succumbs to the flames of his burp, flame bulb, and he dies. So that was like the first recorded thing. Even like Charles Dickens mentions it, I think in Bleak House, he mentions it. So it's like throughout history. To the point where even in 2010, there was a man who burned to death in his home in Ireland and in Galway. And the, the doctor, what's the word I can't think of? Who, what is he? Tell me. The medical, sorry, okay. So the man, there was a man who was burned to death in his home in Galway in 2010 at the age of 76. And the coroner in the inquest said he did the answer of death as spontaneous human combustion. 
Wow. That the man's body was found by a fireplace in the sitting room where the badly burnt body was found. But the fire in the fireplace was not the cause of the blaze, was not the cause of the fire that killed him. The court was told that there was no accelerant found and nothing suggested foul play either. Like someone like, like, someone, like tried to hide the body. He right. was found on his back with his head near the fireplace and the fire had been confined to that room alone. The only damage was where the body was, above and below, the floor and the ceiling. Wow. Yeah. And like the doctor who did it, he literally had been doing this for 25 years at that point too, was like just a new bloke. He's like, I looked up so many textbooks, so many research, like what can explain this? And he said, literally the only thing that was close to this was spontaneous human combustion. And the fire, and it says, quote here, the fire was thoroughly investigated and I'm left with the conclusion that this fits in the category of spontaneous human combustion for which there's no adequate explanation. Wow. So that, my friends, is some tales. And like I said, with wicking, they say that keeps the heat there. But I'm like, especially in the older ones, I can see maybe like the more modern ones with more of our, you know, fire retardant stuff. But the older ones, I feel there's so, so many things were more flammable back then. Wouldn't have yeah. spread. Right. Yeah. That would you hear like so many things of like an errant like electrical fire spreads and burns the whole house. Like how can something at such high heat with so many flammable things nearby just stay in one place? Yeah. So that yeah. is so strange. Yeah. So I love it. I don't love it, but I, I know it was such a topic I wanted to talk about, but more it's like, wow, I'm just talking about unexplained death, which is not normally the topics we talk about here. No, um, but it is it is an interesting topic because it's science that we and it, it, unexplained at this point in time. Yeah. There might be a time later on in our life where it's explained more, mm-hmm. like, um, and it is something that isn't it's a quote unquote pseudoscience that goes in like the vein with what we talk about, like things that are unexplained Mm -hmm. it's unexplained and it's a scary unexplained thing and it's something that's always been perceived as a darker thing that makes sense like a darker like supernatural unknown right Uh, like what makes it like what makes it tick what what makes it boom what makes it like spark because it's something that we're not familiar with because that's so mysterious we're afraid of it yeah and that's inherently scary the unknown but you know it's not scary everyone coming back again next week listening to us wherever you listen to podcasts leaving reviews rating review we love that and chatting with us on instagram or twitter at scary sisters pod writing us at our email which is scary sisters pod at gmail.com with any scary stories questions concerns or comments you might have and talking to us about all things that go bump in the night. And stay tuned next week when Megan covers part two of the Denver airport. And I cover who knows what. Until then, I want you to stay safe and stay spooky. Megan, love you. Bye.
拜。